Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello again, it's nine o'clock. I'm John Rawling and this is a fine night special live on TalkSport for you. And I'm joined tonight by Gareth A. Davis of The Telegraph and regular TalkSport boxing analyst and the one and only Johnny Nelson, former WBO cruiserweight champion, both familiar voices on TalkSport. And maybe I'll start with you, Gareth, just hearing all those all those big names over the years and how they've dealt with it and their their perspective on that first professional defeat. It is a fascinating subject, isn't it? I mean, quite clearly, some react to it very much better and very much more positively than others. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, it was fascinating. Good evening. And, um, you know, uh, the nuance of, uh, of the O has to go is fascinating. I've never heard an entire hour before put together. So great work by yourself and James Savundra and our editor, Matt Smith, on that because, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an area that that you can explore. They say that fighting is 90% mental. And I think you explored the entire range, the entire kind of levels that you go through there. Because coming to mind during that hour just then was Bernard Hopkins, the man who went on to be the oldest world champion in history. And he lost his first professional fight. He had almost 100 amateur fights, but he lost his first pro fight. And I, and I got the impression with so many of them that when you are undefeated, i.e. a Joe Calzaghe, the pressure just builds and builds and builds. And in many ways, yes, it serves the promoter. Yes, it serves the TV company. And yes, it serves to promote you with the O at the end of your record. But in many ways, the the, the lid comes off the pressure cooker when you have lost. You talk about Bernard Hopkins. Of course, we're sitting in the studio with Johnny. And uh, you didn't exactly have the <laughs> ideal start to your pro career. Not at all. Gareth, I, I, you know, I completely agree with what you said there. I think the O is more important to the promoter, uh, commercial aspects. Um, as a fighter coming through, uh, you're always told, never believe the publicity, good or bad about you. Because once you start to believe in that, it's a, it's a long, slippery road. And you've got to be realistic about this. Great fighters like Muhammad Ali, they're in the gym, you used to get battered every day in the gym they never box like they sparred and so you've got to you prepare hard for a fight you you you, you put yourself in a position and you think right i'm going to give it my all i personally think a loss 
is probably the best thing that can happen to any fighter because it makes you hungry, makes you think it's not a done deal. Especially when you've gone through your career and all of a sudden you've, you've, you've hit a loss, you become complacent up to that point. So at that point there, once you've got that loss, it will tell you whether or not you, what you're in it for, the, the, the fame or the game, how much desire there is there. And yet we heard that interview, didn't we, with Jamie Moore, who was a, a terrific fighter, and he said that he was literally crying in the corridor outside his dressing room before he got back to the to the safety of his own dressing room you know he he couldn't control the emotions of course of course listen you'd be a robot if you were not uh, we're not upset with the loss no matter what but after that what kind of individual did Jamie Moore become? Uh, it, made, it made me a realist. Everybody that becomes a champion, any type of champion, especially a world champion, if you're a world champion, the ones that believe they are truly the best in the world, they are the ones that, that, that if they lost, you know, that's where, that's where it's, it's shaky. If they lost, if they can come back from it, then they can say, you know, I'm truly the best in the world. I, I went, I had a bad day at the office, I'm back in, back in business again, and I fixed that. I think I lost, to, to me, uh, I, I lost my first three professional fights. I, I won, lost and drawn d- through my career until I became world champion. Once I became world champion, I believed I was the best in the world. So I committed 100% to going in the ring to think, right, no matter what, I deserve this. It's my time now. I've done everything expected of me. So I knew that was my time. If, I, if, I'd, if a loss had occurred and I couldn't fix it, then my time was done. But I know for a fact I would, go, would have gone back in the ring hungry and uh, with, a, with a hell of a lot more desire. Some of the great fighters uh, have, I say, mentioned Bernard Hopkins there. Even in mixed martial arts, some of the great fighters have lost their first fight. One of the greatest women fighters of all time, um, Chris Cyborg Santos, lost her first fight. One of the things that I think is fascinating, um, we talk about the pressure cooker coming off. Um, I know we'll come to it during the show, but... Um, the pressure really built up, for example, on Anthony Joshua. And I think there's types of first losses, aren't there? Um, because, you know, the, the loss to Andy Ruiz on June the 1st at the Garden, Madison Square Garden in New York, it's the way it's reported around the world. Seismic defeat, catastrophic defeat That's what you've got to on ignore. US that, debut. That, 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 if but, you're but, strong-minded, but, you've got to ignore but, that. But he can't ignore that. And because, social media turned uh, on him. Well, social media is different today as well, isn't it? I mean, I, Michael Bisping was in the studios here with H&J earlier this afternoon, the, the most decorated mixed martial artist ever to come out of Britain, a Hall of Famer in the UFC, a middleweight champion, the man who was a victor in the end over Dan Henderson and Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva considered one of the greatest Mm. fighters of all time, a Muhammad Ali-esque fighter in mixed martial arts. And Michael, in his Hall of Fame speech in Las Vegas in July, the last thing he said was, I just want to record this, when a fighter loses and people on social media have a go at them, you actually don't know how much pain we're already going through yeah, course, at losing. I love that quote uh, which Adam Booth came out with about the old uh, the old truism about praise and criticism. Mm. It's, the, it's the same beast. And when his fighters do well, he tells them not to worry too much about praise because sooner or later they're not going to do so well and that's when they're going to get hammered. I said to Anthony Joshua, how much has your life changed? Uh, and he said... Um, he said, they tell me they love me. and uh, uh, But I know it's false love. Let's see what they're like, you know, when, when, that, when that day comes. And, and he was in a, he, he actually understood. 
he understood this this beast that's been created. We when Damien Price boxed at the weekend, uh, we had a fighters meeting uh, before the fight, and and was talking to David Price. David Price went fifteen and zero unbeaten. He was the heir apparent. He was the one that was going to do it all, and and I asked him if once he lost, obviously after the hurt, after the pain, after the the drama of getting your head around it, does he think it was the best thing that could have happened to him? He said now. There's no expectations. He goes in there and fights for him. He goes in there and he wants to fight no matter what for him. Now, so it took him a long time to get to that point, to, to get to that mindset. What he does in his professional career from this stage on, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that mindset is the most important thing. You've got to, and, and the pressure of being an undefeated fighter is, is, again, you have a lot of armchair champions telling you how bad you are how bad you did at work today, how terrible you are. And, 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 and once you start listening to these people, you're your biggest fool because you're the one that gets up at stupid o'clock in the morning to go for a, yeah. for a run. You're the one that's training three or four, uh, five hours a day. And then you're letting somebody on social media have their opinion. You're letting their opinion affect you. Now, I honestly believe Anthony Joshua is stronger mentally stronger than that and that's part of the reason why I think this rematch is is is, is instantaneous that's why he said right let's get this on now because he had a bad day at the office but Johnny his aura of invincibility has gone maybe that's a good thing well, and maybe it's a bad thing they're all going to fancy it now aren't they? well they all do which, fancy which it. makes it even better because now so for actually, him of course yeah. for him yeah. because now they're going to think I fancy it more whereas Anthony Joshua got to a point where fighters were apprehensive about coming because he's too fast too strong too big do now you not they think there was an element though where he is there not an element look you had a 13 uh fight run as champion over what four and a half five yeah. years is there not six a, six oh, okay. <laughs> i apologize it still takes you as well by the way uh, yeah, god yeah um but here's the thing it was there not a period in in that six years where you thought do you know what i'm the biggest cruiserweight out there no one can lay a glove on me and you know, people barely did. Was there not a time in that period where you thought, I am actually invincible? Yes. I believed I was... But the, you weren't. No, that's but what I'm saying. That's what I believed I was the best fighter in the world. So while I got in the ring, I walked in there supremely confident because I went through every aspect of boxing. I'd been uh, ridiculed. I'd been praised. I'd been ostracized. And so when my time came to become a world champion, I believed that I deserved that spot. So... When it came to fighting, when it came to, to, to getting in there, I believed that was the best in the world. If I'd have lost, then I thought, you know what? Your time was up. You've you had didn't your lose slot. after 38 fights. You went 38 to 59 fights undefeated. Yeah, but it was the, it was the earlier defeats. You know, I mean, you say that the first three, you know, effectively, you were learning your trade as a pro, mm. weren't you? You, didn't, mm. you only had a handful of amber. But you got the, you got the Carlos de Leon fight and the James Waring fight. The worst and the best night of my life. <laughs> but that, that in a way, was kind of the big defeat for you, wasn't it? And, and of course, and every time for years after that, uh, even when I was reigning WBO champion, it was always mentioned that they don't understand that was, a, that was a, the worst and the best night of my life, uh, getting a draw for the WBC title with Carlos de Leon. And I, I thought, well, I lost at the end of the day, but on yeah. paper it's a draw because it then made me see, it made me hungry. It made me think, you know what? Now I want to do it for me. I don't care what you people think because you see the nasty side to people. You see how people's, uh, uh, how human, you see the, the raw side of human nature. For Anthony Joshua, he's probably, this is just a guess. 
he's probably worth about 150 million. And it probably got to a stage where he's thinking, you know what, I'll just go through the motions. And so now, when he gets in the ring as a multi-millionaire, he's going to get in the ring as a hungry multi-millionaire. And he's going to think, it's not about the money now. Yeah, he doesn't have to do it. I don't have to. I'm doing it because I want to do it. I need to do it. And I believe it'll be a different beast we see. We'll, do, we'll see a, a, public, a different public persona of Anthony Joshua. Now, because he thinks, right, I've had all the stick. I've had all the criticism. Now it's my turn. This is for me. A humbler, can, a humbler Anthony Joshua, a more realistic Anthony Joshua. I don't. I think he is very humble. Anyway, I, I, I don't. I never find him. I think maybe there was an element in the end of um, psychologically, perhaps, um, feeling a self entitlement that he was entitled to feel because no. it didn't look like anyone was going to be. Um, what I do think happened in that fight week against Andy Ruiz, instinctively, over and over again. Um, Johnny and I were both there, um, was that he psychologically did not take Andy Ruiz seriously enough. Boom, there you go. He's, he's been boxing for 10 years from the age of 18. He has to learn on the job. So therefore, when you go through situations like that, when a, an opponent's been pulled out, when you go through situations where you know, your expectations, your, your, your fire has dropped People a little bit. People are telling right, you so, that so, you are so, one of the greatest. So, so he's know? had to learn on the job. 10 years, look what he's achieved in that, that, that short space Oh, there's no question about he was so brilliant. That's, so that's why I think this bad day at the office can easily be rectified. Well, we'll find out, won't we? I t I've been asked to, to, to pull out from my memories being with a fighter when he lost for the first time. And one of the most salient for me, one of the most germane, was being with Ricky Hatton in his 44th fight when he lost to Floyd Mayweather. Yep. It was massive. Mm. There were 25,000 British fans. I remember doing a four-page broadsheet supplement on the fight for the Telegraph. <laughs> it was unheard of in those days. There was sponsorship, and you know how big that fight was. And he was broken the next day. In fact, when he lost to Manny Pacquiao a couple of fights later, I remember James, the late James Lawton from The Independent being absolutely apoplectic that we did not see Ricky the next morning. Um, really kind of, you know how red in the face he was generally. <laughs> James was, Jim Lawton was screaming at the media guys. But I do remember Ricky's, something in Ricky's soul being broken the next day. Because he'd gone 20 years without being beaten. Self-belief. Harold Graham, Harold Bomber Graham, his first professional loss was to Julian Jackson. He got knocked out cold. This 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 loss was consistently shown over the place. Me and Harold used to live together. I know how confident, how how much self-belief that individual had. What a, what kind of a man he was. From he lost to Julian Jackson, he changed as an individual completely, socially, privately, uh, publicly. He changed completely because it got to the point where he believed in everything that was written about him. He believed that this could never happen to him. And so it, it was at a crossroads where it'd either make him or break him. And it broke him. Some people, I guess, just deal with it better than others. I'm going to ask and talk to you about Nazim Hamad mm. after we come back from the break and continue to review, in that particular case, what it means for a fighter to lose their O. Work it, make it, do it, makes us older, better, faster, stronger. You're listening to a Fight Night special with me, John Rawling and Gareth A. Davis and Johnny Nelson in the studio with me tonight and we were talking just before that little break about Nazim Hamad. 2001, he was undefeated going into that fight against yeah, Marco yeah, Antonio Barrera. Uh -huh. 
Uh, but and thereafter, never, never really wanted it. Never really. His hunger changed. Just before we go on to that, let me just uh, uh, correct something. Harold Graham's first defeat was against Sambu Kalambi, then against Mike McCallan. Each time that after the Sambu Kalambi fight, that's where he's changed. His hunger changed. His self belief changed. Uh, Mike McCallan fight, again, that was close, but the Julian Jackson fight, that took every self belief out of him. On to, on to Na- uh, Princess Seem Hamid. Yeah. Uh, Naz was one of the few fighters that believed every piece of positive publicity that was written about him. He believed it all, which was the worst thing. When he boxed uh, um, uh, uh, Barrera, uh, he thought it was his, it was a God gift. It, it was a done deal. This guy's gone. He was in Bob Hope's house, you know, not training, not preparing, Mike singing, this is easy peasy. Not a problem. He, cause he thought, because he thought this is a done deal. He got in with Barrera. Barrera manhandled him, buoyed him up. Uh, and Naz couldn't get his head around that. Uh, Naz, to me, I think it broke something deep down inside of him, uh, self-belief down inside of him. Because when you're achieving outstanding things, you think it's got to be a gift. If, I've got to be, I've got to be completely, I've got to be special. He and, was special. And, and Naz believed that that what he had was a gift from God. He was never going to lose. So when he lost to to uh, to Barrera, he couldn't get his head round it. I don't he think I've he seen. Understand. I don't think I've seen as total a uh, sort of a. a Unraveling's not the right word, really. Unraveled. It was almost like the air going out of a balloon. When he came back against, was it Calvo a year later? Yeah. You know, he, Calvo, he, yeah. was, he was not the same guy. Well, no, it, it, when he heard the crowd booing uh, uh, because they expected... Uh, well, it was a unanimous decision, knockout. wasn't it? Yeah. He should have wiped the guy out. He was yeah. there as a as a gimme, yeah. and he wasn't. He, he, he didn't have the self-belief that he had before Barrera. I mean, I travelled most of his career in America with him, you know, with Jack Trickett and, and with Barry Hearn, who was his front man at the time. And, you know, all those fights against Augie Sanchez, Cesar Soto, um, v- Wilfredo Vasquez, all those fights in America Outstanding were fights. unbelievable. And he was... I remember sitting in a, in a revolving chair like this one day in the Pocono Mountain Resorts where he used to train and saying, Let me, I'm going to spin on the chair and you do your thing. You know, because when you're on your own with Naz, he was very thoughtful and very quiet. Mm. He lit up as a show off when the cameras were all on him. Um, And he bounced around me like a jack in the box, throwing punches at me. And I was spinning in the chair. I had an amazing time. And he was a very deep guy. And he was, like you say, deep into Islam. He tried to convert me to Islam there in the, in the Pocono Mountain Resort. He said, you think the same, you should be a Muslim. <laughs> you realise that. You know what he was like? He was a, he, he was a, a very cool guy. Um, But I think, as he called... K and O, his left and right hands, didn't he? One was called K and one was called O. As soon as he couldn't dismantle people anymore, his A game wasn't replaced by anything else. And then you have Brendan, your old coach, the late Brendan Ingle, the brilliant Brendan Ingle, the pauper and the prince as they (laughs) were. Prince Nazim never listened to what Brendan wanted him to do, which was to develop defensively for later fights. And that was the problem against Barrera. He was a technical, tight fighter, and the style just didn't work for mm. Nazim that night. You see, you, you've, you've had great fighters in the past that have lost and come back to achieve even greater things. Yes. That, to me, tells me that's a true champion, a true, a true fighter, true, a, a true top draw fighter does so, that mean so, you're denigrating uh, Nazim then because he didn't have like, I, I, I personally think Naz is a shame because I think Naz could have beaten everybody and anybody and I, and I he thought didn't he, fulfill and his I potential thought, then, I, he yeah. didn't, I thought he beat mm. Barrera 
But then when you see how you prep it, you think, well, if you don't put it work in, you're not going to get the results. Yeah. Let's hear from a guy who, uh, well, it took him a while to finally get uh, get to the old holy grail of a world title, Frank Bruno. Oh, he got Frank. there in the end, didn't he? And he says that, yeah, there are fighters that struggle to come back from that first loss. Some people don't recover from defeat. Sometimes it, it, it knocks your confidence, you, you get gun shy or whatever. But sometimes in life you can't always win. Sometimes you've got to lose. You've got to know what it's like to lose, to train that little bit more harder. Go into the bunker and get out there and prove. And, you know what I mean? Sometimes you've got to lose. And sometimes some people lose and don't recover. But in life you can't always win. You've got to, you know what I mean? Appreciate the winning as well as appreciate the losing. But when you lose, dig that deeper. Go back to the drawing board, train hard, look at your mistakes and try and achieve. I lost about to Bum Crusher Smith, Tim Witherspoon, Mike Tyson and Lance Lewis and I achieved my dream. But I had a plan in my head. I wanted to achieve my dream is winning the World Championship. I only had it for five minutes, but I achieved it. So I, I can sit back, relax and chill out and watch everybody doing their bits and pieces. But in life, you've got to lose sometimes. May have only had it for five minutes, but everybody remembers it, don't they? And what oh. a great, what a great moment at, at Wembley that really was. But he, you know, he's talking there about how difficult it is to come back from that first loss. And I mean, I know you were, I know you were an inexperienced fighter. You'd only had what did he say, seven amateur fights, 13. and then and thirteen amateur fights. Then you get into the paid ranks, and and you come out, and somebody else has had their arm raised. I mean, that even even though you were relatively inexperienced, that had to hurt. Of course, yeah. difficult but not impossible. And that this is this again. This is what I'm saying. If I could have 13 amateur fights, winning only three, so I'm used to defeat. <clears throat> I'm used to being mocked. I'm used to being told you're not going to do anything. So mentally, I've got to get my head strong enough to ignore so much negativity around me. Then I turn professional. I say, why are you turning professional? You ain't no good. I lost my first three on the trot. I carried on. I had to learn on the job. And so I'd gotten used to being mentally strong enough, like Frank was there. Mm -hmm. Frank is what you call a true fighting man, a true champion. Because of the defeats that he had, they weren't just in the ring. They were personal. He lost to Lennox Lewis. He he, he lost to Mike Tyson. Uh, Oliver McCoy. He, he lost um, to Buster Douglas, Buster James Bond, Bond Smith. Smith. It, it broke him, but he rebuilt to say, I am going to get to the, the, the holy ground. This is what I want. Frank had George Francis. Some people use sports psychologists, which I guess is kind of a, a modern way to, to look into recovering from the setback. But, you know, I mean, you, you kind of had your own, own personal psychologist in Brendan Ingle. Brendan Ingle was an amazing, and that's this is why I'll always give him credit. I'll always say there are no true trainers left. There are no true, true trainers left because you can go out there and you'll find many boxing trainers that have, have come out of university and and they'll 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 get you super fit. They'll tell you how fast you can run hundred meters. They'll get you supremely fit. But boxing, as Gareth said at the beginning, is more mental than it is physical. Ear to ear. So 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 if Brendan could get into my head. From being a, a, a an official loser, and I, I saw one time in the in the box news a in the box news a journeyman. Ooh. If he can get into my head <laughs> and make me believe I am the best in the world, and actually prove it, and actually become a product of our gym to say this, you don't have to uh, uh, jump in our game, uh, jump into the, into the boxing game, off a gold medal from the Olympics, or be an outstanding am uh, amateur. You can build it if you believe and you listen. So, and Frank showed so much mental strength in regards to that. 
I, I, you can only but commend him, and he'll never get the credit he deserves for what he came through because, especially the loss to Lennox Lewis, that burnt him. It oh. burnt him hard. But he thought, you know what? I'm going to. There were some fix raw this emotions in that one. Very weren't raw. Very you raw. know, I mean, Frank. Frank went into that one. I, I remember there's the whole there's the whole Uncle Tom issue, yeah. wasn't there? And he really wanted to, rightly or wrongly. I mean, I'm not sitting here condemning Lennox Lewis. Far be it from me to do that. But. That was what Frank believed, and he went into that fight determined to produce the performance and of his life. So you look he? how and low in a way he did. So look how low emotionally Frank would have got, mentally he would have got to still go on and, and, and persevere to end up being world champion. This is what a champion's about. So what I'm saying is, a loss doesn't mean diddly. A loss is is sometimes the best thing that can happen to you because yeah. It'll show your flaws, but your, your, your true strength is how you can come back from it and how you can fix it. Ali did it. Look, one of his greatest fights came after his loss when he beat um, uh, George Foreman. You thought he's never going to do that. He lost two by then. Yeah, he lost two by then. He got knocked out by. Uh, he got knocked down by Fraser, and that was person with those two boys. You know, so so for him to come back and still achieve what he achieved. You know, you, you, that is the kind of champion I respect. That is the kind of champion I think. You are who I look up to. Gareth, you were jumping at the bit to get in there. I'm always <laughs> jumping at the bit Gareth. to get in. You know that. Um, listen, fa- it's, it's fascinating what you're both saying there. A couple of things came to mind for me. It's how you lose, in what situation you lose, and against who you lose sometimes as well. Muhammad Ali lost, this, as you say, that first fight um, against Joe Frazier, the fight of the century, two 1971. Unbeaten two unbeaten heavyweight fighters. He knew he'd have another opportunity again, and he wasn't beaten up in that fight. Nazim Hamid was utterly embarrassed by Marco Antonio Barrera. If you remember, at one point, Barrera got him by the neck and walked him into one of the corner posts. Who's your daddy now, he said. And and here's an example, just from last weekend, where someone suffered their first defeat. Keith Thurman, Mm -hmm. to Manny Pacquiao, a legend of the sport, in a fight that he can still grow from. He wasn't embarrassed in that contest. He lost a split decision to Manny Pacquiao in Vegas. Some people might consider that a loss. It's not like he was beaten up. He was knocked down and embarrassed in the first round, and he said he learnt from it. So it's about the manner of that first loss in many ways for me. Carol, I think as an ex-fighter, I think if I was ever in a position where I had done everything right, trained right, slept right, prepped right, and I was at my top of my game, and lost, then I'd, I think I'd struggle to 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 come back with it because I, th- I think this guy beat me in every department. But when so, but when you lose and just just something just not right, then you can give yourself an excuse. To think you know what? This is what I did wrong there, and and that that's what can turn you around. Is it not being beaten up that really? That rather than being out techniqued, no, no, you 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 get beaten up. You can get in there. Everybody's got a bogeyman, and and you can expect a certain type of fight. Then all of a sudden you get a, a fighter that jumps on you. Think, wow, I didn't prep for this. I've got to try and change my game mid-fight. And and depends on how bad you get beaten up. Because what about Sugar Ray Leonard when he boxed Roberto Duran? He got roughed up. He got manhandled uh, against uh, Roberto Duran. The first fight, mm-hmm. he went away, licked his wounds. Six months later, he came back and, and embarrassed and Duran. Embarrassed him. Embarrassed him. him. Boxed, em- his, em- boxed em- his ears off. Didn't embarrassed he? him. Yeah. So he showed how you can turn getting beat up or getting a, turning a loss into something that will drive you inspired mm, thing mm. that will never happen again Sugar Ray Leonard had Angelo Dundee and after the break we're going to be asking just how important it is in the trainer 
picking up his fighter after a first defeat. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good to hear Dan Dawson at the Winter Gardens up there in Blackpool. I imagine that place must be a live contender for the hottest place on earth at the moment. The, John, the air con up there is interesting. John, can I just say something? Go on. Ollie sat next to me. He's got a, a deeper voice than me. He looks like he's 12. Harry Potter. <laughs> looks, like Harry, looks like Harry Potter, doesn't he? Looks like he? he's 12 yeah. thinking... That's your voice. First whereas, time I've seen you live. What are we trying to say? Whereas I look about 90, that sound about 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's a surprise? Sorry, Alan, where's it gone? Anyway, <laughs> we're going to be talking now about how important it is for a trainer to pick their fighter up after a defeat. A little bit earlier on, we heard from Jamie Moore talking about how it's impacted on him when he lost. And, you know, it obviously hurt big time. And, and you said, Johnny, that it's kind of made him not only better as a fighter, maybe bigger as a man as well. And he talked about, as a trainer, how he deals with a fighter who's just been beaten. I think instinctively you, you react the way you react in, you know, naturally. Um, I never knew how I was going to react when Carl Frampton lost to Josh Warrington because I never envisaged it happening. Um, but my instinct was... And I know this from as experience as from being a fighter. You feel like your world's crashed around you. And me from the outside looking at them as the coach and, and trying to put a bit, a bit of sense into it, what I have said to them in the changing rooms afterwards, he's gone, listen, I know it feels like the end of the world at the moment. I understand it, I've been there. But listen, it's just boxing. It's a sport at the end of the day. And this is part of your life. It's not your life. This isn't just because you've lost a fight doesn't mean your life's ended. You know, you've got healthy kids at home, you've got a lovely wife, you know, you've got great friends around you. You'll come back from it, 
you know, it's going to, your ego's dented at the minute and your pride's hurt, but you'll come back from it. Don't worry about it. You know, and, and you know, take Carl, for instance, or Rocky when Rocky lost to Canelo. They're at the tail end of the career now, so if they decide to, to knock it on the head and turn around and say, I don't want to fight anymore, they've had fantastic careers. There's nothing to be, there's, mm. there's, there's no, there's no um, regrets. There's nothing to look back and go, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve because they've done it. So they're in a great position where, and, and that's why it's easier for me to say, listen, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Life's life's bigger than boxing. Boxing's part of it. And I think that's a real, you, you have to be sensitive, but it's a real, um, it's a good point to make at a difficult moment because it does tend, it seems to me like it drags them out of that deep thinking where when I got beat off Scott Dixon, I didn't even make it back to the changing rooms and I just sat on the floor and started crying in the corridor. It was horrible. And I remember Steve Foster picking me up and saying, don't do this here. And he took me, made me go back to the changing rooms. But, you know, for me to do that, mentally, I must have been in such a bad place because I'd lost a fight. What, you know, why? You see, it's a sport at the end of the day. You know, you lose and you take it on board and you... And you you just got to learn from it and move on. So people protecting the records and building the records, fighting nobodies with with no real process of where it's going to get you to, it's just pointless for me. I'd rather have a fighter who's, who's had 30 fights and won 20, lost 10, but lost 10 competitive fights and learnt lessons from them, which is going to make him a better fighter in the future. Great words, Gareth. I mean, you can see, uh, you can hear why fighters relate to Jamie. No, I mean, he's, he's got people like Rocky Fielding, like Carl Frampton in his in his gym, and Carl. You know the way Carl has reacted to that defeat against Josh Warrington. He's psychologically got to understand the workings of a proud of a, of a proud champion. Well, there's there's um I think you know the thing is with Jamie, um, he's one of those guys who. You never hear say a ridiculous thing, frankly. Um, at the end of the day, this is a guy that's come back from being shot in the leg in Spain, remember, when he wasn't even uh, involved in whatever was going on. Um, the reason why he's so successful is that he places himself as a father figure. Johnny will will um, agree with this. You have your family, your blood and, and, you know, your blood relatives, but you have your gym family as well. And your trainer has to be a father figure for you. He has to care about you as if you're a son of his, or if it's a female trainer, you know, like a son of a, of a woman. Um, it's, it's so important that that person has your utter trust because at the end of the day, and we've had two boxers die in the last week, it's an inherently dangerous sport. So they have to care about you and he in picked, a very deep way. And he picked up the, the baton, so to speak, from another man who prospered in that area and worked with the fighters, a quiet man who lost a fight against cancer, Oliver Harrison. Yes. And he, you talk about men who cared, Oliver really did. He really did. And, um, you know, I, I remember going to his gym under the arches up in uh, in Manchester and it was always... I remember going there with Andy Murray one day, actually, and him taking Andy Murray on the pads, the tennis player. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, with with Amir Khan one day. Yeah, Murray had a bit of a dig on him, actually. He was very good. Um, very fast hands. You can imagine he was, he was quite <laughs> yeah, powerful. You can imagine that. Good levers. Um, Oliver was... No, Oliver was 
one of one of the beautiful people I would say yeah, involved he was a in boxing, guy. salt of the earth, but had the utter trust of anyone that was around him. And you know, sometimes when you go in a gym, and for those listening, if you're ever worried about going in a boxing gym, the well-known ones, Winko Bank Gym in Sheffield, the Peacock Gym in, 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 in East London, Repton, Fitzroy Lodge, all these big gyms around the country, uh, Tony Sims Gym, you're always welcome in those gyms. It's incredible what the atmosphere is like. It's like time slows down because there is always a family in there. And at the head of that gym are generally two or three trainers who've created that atmosphere. Johnny, when, when there's the first defeat and somebody's, somebody's obviously down, I mean, is it always a case of arm round the shoulder? Or are there times when hard words have to be given? You're right in both aspects. Um, I, I believe that... A fighter, when he gets in the ring, when he's fully committed to that to, to that path, he's willing to die in the ring, and that sounds rough. It sounds it sounds coarse, but it's the honest truth. He's willing to die. When I boxed Carl Thompson, I was willing to die in the ring because I thought I'm not going to get another chance. This is it. I've given my life and soul to this. With Brendan Engel, Brendan Engel was very good at uh, simplifying things and and having that word look. It's not. It's just boxing. It's not life. Because he saw beyond what we could see. We thought boxing was our world and nothing else. Uh, uh, when I lost, he was telling me stories about Ingeamo uh, Johansson, Floyd Patterson and, and Jack Johnson. I'm thinking, why are you telling me this? What about me? So he's basically <laughs> saying, it's the same story, different actors, time after time after time. They got over it. You know, life goes on. And so you, so you need somebody that's going to be able to motivate you, rally you, make you understand what's happened to you. Or give you a good slap on the ass and say, you know what? This is what you did wrong. You do it right and it won't happen again. I remember and one... And so, so you, yeah. have to, you have to speak to certain well, fighters in a certain well, way. I remember Brendan one day, like, um, the Alzheimer's had already kicked in then, but we were out, we spent a day... Uh, I spent a day up with Brendan, probably about a year before he died, and he still went to the gym every day, didn't he? Yeah. And um, we stood on the on the hillside, um, just outside the gym, you know, with the playground, sitting on the wall by the playground, as it is next to the yep. Um, yep. next to the the old church or, or what was it? The, was it the kids' uh, youth club, yep. which is now the gym? And he sat on the wall. We were chatting away. I was doing an interview with him for Ring Magazine. He was telling me all about, you know coming to the UK from Ireland and falling in love with um, a Alma. Catholic. Alma. Alma, yeah. Alma. Alma with Alma, his wife, and running the hills when he was younger and working in the steelworks and fit as a fiddle anyway. looked fit as a fiddle at 80-odd. And one of the guys came out of the gym, big black heavyweight, came out of the gym and spat in the road. Oh, oh, I know where this is going. I know what's coming here. Brendan stopped, turned from me, looked at the guy... And he went and he shouted at him, what have I told you time and again? Coughs and sneezes spread diseases. Now go and clean that up. So the next thing, this giant man, a big, big guy this was, you know, six foot five, 18 stone, was out there with a bucket and, and a And, and this, and a this one, so, so... But it was his, the, 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 that, he had the command of everyone. Exactly, and this is the kind of respect a trainer needs to have from his fighters. I said to Brendan, I'd never do your job. I've seen you, I met you, you had a, a full head of black hair. It went grey, <laughs> then you went bald. I'd never do your job. You fall in love 
love with your fighters because you think I spent my life and soul teaching you not just to be a fighter, to be a man, to, to how to treat people, and then you, you get your heart broken with Harold, with Naz, and, and 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 but he still throws himself back into it again. You would drive up Newman Road, and then you give a morning, and people would see. The likes of me, Harold, Naz, uh, Pele, Reed, uh, Richard Town, everybody's sweeping the streets. Kid pick, Galahad, pick, kid um, Galahad, picking the weeds Brooke, out of the street. On on, Even now, it? picking the weeds out of the street. Yeah. And they'd be thinking, has he got them up to do that? Yeah. It's about respect. And but, he did it himself. Though, yeah, he did it himself. Point, it's know? about respect. Yeah. He was one of those guys you couldn't lie to. You thought you could see straight through you. He was one of those guys, those guys where if he said jump, you just did it. And and that's the that's how important that's how much power and influence this man had over kids that had had no fights or were champions. You would walk in our gym, you wouldn't know who was a champion, who was a challenger. But everybody got taught uh, trek tre- the same. Everybody went through the same path. Hey, Brendan would take you and try and gym you into a show, get you in for free, or or he'd take you to 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 see somebody at a, a workplace, and, and he and he taught you how to be a man, an adult, how to accept responsibility for who you were. That is respect, and that's what the fighters need. And you see trainers. that the world's over with the very greatest, you know, time and again seeing it with Freddie Roach in the wildcard gym in Los Angeles, Virgil Hunter in Oakland, you know, the, the, the Virgil Hunter having the utter trust from, from on, of Andre Ward from a very small boy to take him to number one pound for pound in the world all the way through the Olympics to a gold medal at light heavyweight, the same gold medal that Muhammad Ali won in Rome in 1960. It's all about the consistency. They're almost like headmasters, aren't they? Yeah. Strict headmasters. Another and good, uh, another uh, one of the one of the very few real coaches left. Unfortunately, when he has his students, unless they listen, he's not going to get the results. Uh, Andre Ward is his, is his prime example. Look at look at look at what a machine he produced in Andre Ward. So it shows this man has the knowledge, has the understanding, uh, knows how to win, lose, and draw. Knows how to get a fighter from breaking point to success, and 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 and. There are not many, there are, if any, many coaches like that left. I think we're agreed that, uh, I think we're agreed that trainers are pretty damn important. Indeed. Anyway, coming up next, we're going to be discussing who's ultimately to blame, if indeed blame is the word, for the perhaps modern importance of being an undefeated fighter. You're listening to Fight Night, a Fight Night special on TalkSport, and uh, we've been, I gather, inundated by people on Twitter saying, why aren't you talking Dillian White? We will, we will, I (laughs) promise you, we most definitely will. We're on air talking boxing till 10 o'clock, and Dillian White is going to be our main subject after the 9 o'clock break. But we're talking Brendan England. Before we move on to kind of who's to blame for the obsession with losing the O, you wanted just to make another point about Brendan. Yeah, yeah I talked about how important, how influential and how much of an effect this man had on had on, on so many individuals from our gym, the champions, the challengers, the kids that did nothing, the no-hopers. And... Uh, uh, of course, with the passing of Brendan, he Brendan uh, set up the Brendan Ingle Foundation to try and carry on his good work uh, in his community and communities. Uh, and so, uh, the Brendan Ingle Foundation has a text donate. If anybody is interested in, or if they would, uh, please donate. This is to to create a memorial uh, for Brendan in Sheffield, just so people remember what this man 
did, who he was, how important he was uh, to the world of boxing, not just Sheffield. And uh, uh, and anyone who's raised past the, the uh, money uh, raised for the Memorial Fund will go to community projects. Uh, so if you wanted to do that, uh, just text Brendan to 70970. That's 70970. Text Brendan. And that's an automatic £5 off your mobile uh, bill. That's it. That's simple. Uh, we're trying to raise £100,000. Um, um, and that would uh, be a memorial inside uh, Sheffield. And if you ever came to Sheffield, you'd see this. You'd be inspired by what this man achieved. So that's uh, Brendan, 70970. Uh, just text that. He was an amazing guy and certainly a, a life well lived. Now, if you're just joining us, you perhaps didn't hear the documentary earlier on, Losing the O, where we were talking about first defeats and what it means to all manner of people, to fighters, to trainers, to promoters. Uh, it's now available as a podcast to download, so if you missed it, don't worry, you can still hear it. Now, before we went to that little break, I said, Gareth, who's ultimately to blame about the obsession with the O? Is, is blame the right word? Yeah, if you want to use the word blame. I mean, I think, you know, it, it's it's a bit like you, you, could, you could use it in the same brushstroke, really, with... Uh, the number of titles that that happen to exist in boxing, because um, you know the undefeated record is always going to make a headline. There's no question about that. Rather like you're fighting for X or Y belts. You know there are over 75 or 80 world title belts available. Um, there used to be one in six or eight divisions a hundred years ago. You know they they used to be three divisions. Lightweight, middleweight, and heavyweight. That was it, wasn't it? You yep. know, at one time. Yep. Um, mixed martial arts started out like that in the, in, the, in the way that boxing had almost 150 years ago. And you did get, you know, an 11-stone, 5-foot-11-inch man fighting someone for the heavyweight belt because he'd been the middleweight champion. Um, I don't blame anyone for the O. I think being undefeated, being an undefeated champion... Building yourself as invincible is part of the mythology of fight sports. It's part of the mythology of invincibility. Invincibility is, is the thing that allows us to fantasize that these fighters are superhuman. Because that's what fight sports is for so many people. It's our escape from normality. You live your life vicariously. You live a, it vicariously. I mean, you're looking you, at you, what you, somebody you, else jo can and do. And what that means, Johnny... <laughs> What that means, Johnny, Rani, <laughs> the man I love in boxing, you know, who've sat, we've sat and discussed many times on air, live, as, over dinner. It's because we love what you guys are built to and do. And wish that we and, could have done and it. And wish that we could have done it. And, and so I, there is nothing <clears throat> wrong with the O. Yeah, that's one thing. It's more important to the public, in, in my opinion, than it is to the fighter. And 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 in saying that, um, the... the, the it, Look at my career. So somebody like me would, ne it be, I'd be a hard sell because yeah, I can't. How would they sell me to you guys? This kid's had thirteen amateur fights. He's only won three. You think yeah, whatever. This kid here has never lost. This kid's unbelievable. This guy's kid's a world beer that captures your imagination. So so someone like me, we have to go the hard route. We have to go the hard way around to get to the top. But when we get to the top, we've learned a hell of a lot more than the kids that have never lost. And Ricky, that's the difference. And Ricky Hatton would agree with you. He says that, in his opinion, boxing's changed and, you know, defeat isn't the end. 
it's not the end. And again, if you're a fool to think that one loss is the end of your career or one loss, you are no longer the, the fighter you thought you were. You're the you 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 you're a fool to yourself. This is this is for commercial aspects only. It's for TV. It's for promoters to sell the individual because we all have a bogeyman. We've all been in the gym and been beaten up by, by somebody that's never boxed before. Or uh, you think it's never happened to Anthony Joshua? You think it never happened to to Ali? You think it never happened to Floyd Mayweather in the gym? Do you think it never happened to Naz? These things happen in the gym. It's who can perform in public. So they they always more important to everybody else. Bar the fighters. And Joe. that's why everybody will have an opinion on your Anthony Joshua loss. Everybody will think he's never going to be the same fighter again. You've got to see what happens in, when the doors close in the dressing room. How that conversation's gone with him and Rob McCracken. What's happened previously to that. How he was inspiring. How what's happened in, in training. So that, that, that big myth, that big, that, the big, big, the big, big machine that's been built around him. Now... They've got to sell him again, repackage him. We love it, though, don't we? I mean, it's one of the old truisms. There is a there is a, a statement about opinions, which I won't repeat on air, but uh, everybody's got one, haven't they? Well, it's, well no, but, it, but fight sports, one of the great things about fight sports and one of the great things I always find um, in our travels, I mean, it's brilliant to be stopped by fans and have a drink with fans I confess, sometimes pre-fight, sometimes post-fight. I do like a little tipple sometimes before an event. You? Um, me? <laughs> Listen, AJ Liebling... I thought who wrote, you wrote very creative. Yeah, very <laughs> well, no, it's funny you say that. It's called wetting the whistle, John. You know that. You were once an esteemed writer as well as broadcaster. No, the thing is, the great AJ Liebling, who wrote The Sweet Science, used to go and mingle with the crowds in the 50s and 60s in New York before right, penning his pieces for The New Yorker and The New York Times and all these... Um, and all these uh, esteemed magazines and, and newspapers because... You get a feel for the atmosphere that's coming. It's great to debate with fans. There are so many knowledgeable fans out there of our sport. It's about opinions. It's about debate. And it's about how consistently you can be right, or, or those of us that do it for a living, because it's in the moment. But, but one of the things that I said earlier on, on with Adrian Durham on Drive is that even though... We talk about the O, even though some people are pad have padded records in the beginning, are built, and it's part of the process of boxing. You know, moving to nine and O, fourteen and O, fifteen and O, there'll be half of those will have been gimmies, and that's fair enough because it's just the way the sport is structured. But here's the thing: we admire the fighters, John. I know you have the same rule as I do. We only ever say about fighters and write about fighters that we would say to their faces. You've got to be honest. You Always have to be, be honest. honest. That's what it's about. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, 
Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 